0: This podcast is an unedited excerpt from a live MCLE webcast. See the episode notes for details about the speakers and links to the program's full video and audio recording. Get access to everything MCLE offers for one low subscription fee with the MCLE Online Pass. Try it for free for a month. Go to www.mcle.org onlinepass Please note that MCLE's products, services, and communications are offered solely as an aid to developing and maintaining professional competence. The statements in this recording may not apply to your circumstances and no legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice is being rendered by MCLE or its speakers. For full terms and conditions, see the MCLE website.
1: Good morning, everybody. My name is Terry Kennedy. I've been a member of the Governor's Council now for 13 years, almost. um, And have had the opportunity of vetting hundreds of nominees to the bench, and have voted on hundreds of uh, sitting judges and clerk magistrates, including the two that are in this room. for clerk magistrates, as well as the three judges that are in this room over the years, Uh, all great choices. I just want to talk about where the um, administration is at in terms of setting things up. Uh, It's going a little slower than usual. There was actually an article I think in the Globe recently about that. But um, The the Judicial Nominating Commission has not been um, set up yet. They're in the process of doing interviews with respect to that. Uh, They don't have a... um, chairman of the Judicial Nominating Commission yet, which what that means to you folks that are thinking of applying for a judge, at the point that everything's set up, my guess is it would be two or three months before uh, nominations started coming to us. Uh, There are going to be a number of openings this year. I know that there are eight mandatory retirements in the Superior Court. There were four mandatory retirements in the District Court, and we can assume that some of those will be uh, uh, some of the Superior Court nominations uh, vacancies will be filled from the District Court, creating some more there. And I am aware of two other judges that will uh, potentially be retiring early. So there's going to be a number of openings in the District and Superior Court. I think there might be one or two in the Probate Court coming up as well, and I know there's at least one in the Appeals Court. That could uh, cause some openings to happen if somebody came out of Superior District Court as well. So there's going to be a lot of openings over the course of the next year, even though the Baker Administration filled up pretty much everyone that was there uh, at the end of his term. Uh, But going forward, uh, I think the total number is going to be about 20 or 21 openings throughout the uh, judiciary. I'm not sure how many clerk magistrates there are going to be. There's no mandatory retirement for clerk magistrates, as uh, you're probably aware, but uh, we can expect that there'll be a couple of those uh, as well, I would think. So uh, going forward, I don't think a lot's going to be happening over the next couple of months, but in the fall, it's going to be very, very busy. My advice to people, although the um, Uh, new executive order has not been uh, uh, written yet by the uh, Healy administration. That usually is just a tweaking uh, they usually don 't make substantial changes from administration to administration there'll be some but i don 't expect there won 't be a lot. I expect the application f- to be uh, for the various positions will change a little bit, but not a lot but if you 're very serious about uh, applying, you should start working on that now uh, you, you, one of the mistakes people make is that they fill out that application and they do it just too quickly they rush it and you shouldn't do that. You should put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it. Uh, The second thing I I tell people to do is start tracking your cases. Think about what cases you've had over the years and who the opponents were, who the judges were. Try to reconstruct that because you're going to be asked about that on the application and potentially by the JNC and the uh, Governor's Council. Uh, And so if you start doing that now it's gonna be a lot easier later when you when you get to that point. And the third thing that I that I that I think people should think about is you know the governor's council has the last say in this process. Uh everybody in the council is very, very open to to giving advice and talking to people. They're elected officials. Uh while the uh JNC is very strict about um, lobbying their members and uh in the uh, order from the various governors that said you can't lobby JNC members. There is no prohibition about talking to governor's council nor could there be because we are independently elected officials. So uh, you should reach out to them if you're thinking about and talk to whoever your counselor is as you're going forward uh, so that they get to know you ahead of time uh, and know who you are and what you're about and your counselor can be helpful through the process. So those are the things that I'd leave you with at this point by by way of introduction. There's going to be a lot of things to talk about uh, throughout uh, the next couple of hours. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Terry. All right. What I'd like to do, uh, Terry made a lot of great points. Uh, I'd like to just start from the beginning and I'd like to hear from, uh, Lauren Green about the judicial application process from start to finish. Uh, Lauren was instrumental during the Baker-Polito administration and helping, uh, numerous, uh, applicants, nominees through the process from start to finish. Uh, when I say the process, it is quite the process. And really as council Kennedy alluded to the application process is so important the application is so important it is it is your best foot forward from the beginning of the process to the end of the process it stays with you from your first JNC uh, exposure to the JNC and I'll let Lauren talk about that right on through uh, to your uh, confirmation hearing in front of the governor's council so it's so important that you get that application right Uh, And having said that, I'm going to turn it over to Lauren. Uh, You'll see on the screen, and I know that you have the materials, uh, the JNC, uh, JNC application part one and part two. So Lauren, if you want to take it away and
3: enlighten the good people. Sure. Thank you. Um, So I'd like to start by just echoing um, the caveat that Councillor Kennedy gave, which is I'm going to talk about. The application process, as it stood during the Baker and Polito administration, the uh, Healy-Driscoll administration is still reviewing the application process and has not issued their executive order. So there may be tweaks to this, and there may be distinctions. Um, But I do think from history, it looks like the applications have substantially stayed the same. Um, So with that being said, and also echoing another great piece of advice from Councillor Kennedy, is that if you are thinking about this process...
1: You don't usually listen to me.
3: I don't, but today I've decided to try <laughs> you, you something don't, new. You don't even need to be nice to him anymore. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm going to be nice to everyone today. I'm trying something new in April. It's a you know a new leaf we're turning over. Um, but I think that the other piece of great advice that he gave, as well as uh, Jen, is that you should start looking at the application now. Um, it is a lengthy application process. There are two parts to the, the application. There's part one and part two. Uh, If you read the executive order, or the old executive order, and what I anticipate the new executive order is going to talk about, is the fact that when you apply to the Judicial Nominating Commission, the first thing that the commission looks at is part two. Uh, Some people get a little confused. It's referred to as the blind application, and people aren't clear on what that means. What that means is your name shouldn't be anywhere. So if you're a solo practitioner and you're putting the list of where you've worked, it's the law offices of XXX or the law offices of XX and Smith, your partner's name. The reason for that is because when you apply, the commission is going to first look at part two to make a determination as to whether or not they want to invite you in for an interview. Um, The commissioners don't want to know who they're reading about. They want to read about your practice. They want to read about your career. They want to read about your insights in that part two application Mm. without knowing any other specifics about who you are. I specify that too, because I think a lot of people when they first start this process, spend a lot of time on part one, because part one is really heavy on your last three trials, your last three cases that pled before trial, your last three mediations, um, and people spend a lot of time worrying about how to, what are the best cases I should highlight in part one. Don't pay attention to part one as much in the very beginning of this application process. Part two is your first entry into the JNC. You want to focus there. That's the piece that the commissioners are going to read and say, this is a really interesting candidate, and we want to invite them in for an interview. So uh, with that said, on part two, there's a specific certain number of questions I would also highly recommend taking a look at, especially as you're starting this process, which is the last grouping of questions, 70 through... um, Jen, I don't know if you can scroll down. I am not good with the computer stuff. But if you scroll down, it's going to be... Uh, I believe it's 68 and onwards Um, yep 68 is the interest conflict of interest so go to 72 73 there it is 73 so starting with 73 to 79 these are the questions that talk about yourself that talk about why do you want to be a judge why what are the three most impactful parts of your career It could be cases. It could be maybe pro bono work that you've done. It could be teaching that you've done if you are an adjunct somewhere. It could be, um, you know, we've had different uh, candidates who started nonprofits. What are the three things about your career that really speak to who you are as a person, who you are as a practitioner, and why you want to be a judge, right? What are the things that you value most about your career? What are the things that are really most impactful and important? What are the things about the court you're applying to that really speak to you about that court? This is your opportunity to really put your voice and really show who you are to the JNC. And it's those questions that the commissioners who I've worked with really focus in on, on read to determine whether or not they want to bring you in for an interview. So that's some tips that I would say as you're looking through the process. Um, after the commission reads part two of the application, they vote as a commission. And in the current executive or the prior executive order, it was a third of the votes would what you needed to get brought in for an interview. Um, and the JNC interviews uh, are 20 minutes each. Uh, they're the longest and shortest 20 minutes of your life, as I'm sure <laughs> most of the panelists on this board would uh, remember and agree with. Um, and the JNC can ask you anything. They'll ask you <coughs> questions about your application. They'll ask you questions about your practice. They can, might ask you hypotheticals. It's really hard to prepare for those interviews, but I recommend to people who are thinking about it to really think about how they would present themselves in a 20 minute uh, or less uh, fire question, question and answer process. Um, part one is given to the commissioners before your interview. So that is the opportunity they can kind of see what. Work you've done what kind of cases you've done Um, but that's why part two is is the one I would spend the most amount of time on after your interview if the Commission finds that you've done a great job on the interview they'll then uh, vote and make a determination about whether you go on to the third part of the process at the JNC level which is the due diligence process And the way that the due diligence process works is that a commissioner is assigned to basically investigate your background. So they are going to call judges. They're going to call opposing counsel. They're going to call partners. They're going to call junior associates. They're going to call anyone and everyone who's ever worked with you. They'll call court officers, probation officers. They'll call clerks um, because they want to get a full picture of who you are as a person and how you interact with the people that you deal with. One of the things that I heard frequently when I was in that, uh, in at the JNC was people would say, Well, you never called the people I listed as references. There's a good reason for that. If you've listed someone as a reference, we can assume that they're going to say something really lovely about you. Um, and so quite frankly, we're going to call the people that you haven't told us to call because those are the people that frequently give us the better picture. Um, and so. Think about that also you know it's good to have really good references but don't assume that those are automatically always going to be the people that are called the diligence process can take a while because as the jnc had been formed they were volunteer lawyers they gave their free time on on tuesday evenings for our administration um they had busy practices they had busy lives and so this is volunteer work that they are not compensated for that they do in their spare time so diligence can sometimes take a few weeks to make those phone calls It can sometimes take more than that. Um, As a practice, when I was there, we tried to have people make uh, calls to approximately anywhere from 18 to 25 individuals. Um, And those conversations are long conversations, right? They want to really get to know your intellect, your character, your background. And then they have to gather that all together and present it to the group. So diligence can take a period of time. Once your diligence is complete, the commissioner will present it to the full commission and the commission considers that, considers your interview and looks at that application again and makes a determination about whether or not to recommend you to the governor's office. Um, And that's when people hear that they're on the governor's desk. Um, You're not actually on the governor's desk, you're on the chief legal counsel's desk. But uh, that process that I just described can take anywhere from three months to nine months. It can be a lengthy process. So one of the other things that, as much as it seems impossible that we would recommend to applicants is, once you've applied, try to put it out of your mind until the next piece. And I know that sounds impossible, you right? said, right? Much easier said yes. than done. But it can be starts and stops. You've spent three and a half months working on this perfect application. You've had everyone in your life read it, check it for grammar, make sure that it makes sense, and then you're waiting on pins and needles. Then you get a call, you're coming in for your interview, You find out you're going on to diligence, and then it can be another three to four months sometimes before you hear another call. So, you know, it can be a lengthy process, and I would recommend people to be prepared for that. Once you've been recommended to the governor's office, Again, speaking from the Baker-Polito administration process, at that point, there would be another series of interviews that are done. So you would sit down, you would have an interview with the executive director of the Judicial Nominating Commission, along with the chief legal counsel for the governor. That's generally about a half an hour interview. Uh, You're then sent on to the Joint Bar Committee to refer... The Joint Bar Committee does a check and balance kind of on the JNC. It's a separate group that's made up of members of bar associations throughout the Commonwealth. They do their own diligence process to make sure that the JNC got it right. Uh, You're also then sent for a state police background check through the governor's office. And if all of those things come back with positive green flags, then um, the way that the Baker-Polito administration would set it up was you'd first meet (coughs) with the lieutenant governor, And then you would meet with the governor. And if those interviews went well, uh, the governor and lieutenant governor would make the decision to nominate you. And then you would be vetted by the governor's counsel. And that was the final piece of the process. So it's a lengthy, lengthy process. It's not for the faint of heart. It takes a lot of grit. It takes a lot of determination. And it takes a lot of um, inner strength to get through, which I'm sure um, the judges on the panel can speak to how uh, it was (coughs) for them going through that process. Music